Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, an important new book from uh, somebody that uh, I've uh, had a long admiration for. I've had an opportunity to, to interview over the years. And a very timely book, I would argue, because I, I think we are very divided. I think there is a real tendency to to label people, to try to fit people into boxes or assume that we can define somebody by the label we choose to put on them. Uh, and that there's a connection. There's a connection between that labeling and that division. Uh, New York Times bestselling author Urshad Manji, also founder of the Moral Courage Project, is out with a new book. It's called Don't Label Me, an incredible conversation for divided times. Urshad, so great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Rob, I am so glad to be back with you after uh, a few years. It's been a while. It's good to catch up with you. Um, you know, listen, and we'll get into the book, but you know, as it relates to to the horrific tragedy in in New Zealand last week, and yeah. we have examples where it is important to to try to understand somebody's motivation for a heinous act, or, or even to put a label on somebody. How do we approach a situation where we seem to have had an atrocity committed by somebody who we might label as? A terrorist or label as a white supremacist you know uh if what you're asking me is uh should it isn't it okay to uh label um you know violent folks exactly what they are Mm -hmm. uh my argument is well yeah of course but let us not assume that you know every white person out there or every muslim out there is a potential terrorist and that's part of what we're dealing with here especially when it comes to the politics of identity. You know, we often um, sort of attribute identity politics um, to one end of the political spectrum or the other. But the reality is that they're feeding one another so that, um, you know, Muslim extremists who go out and commit uh, uh, terrorist crimes uh, then uh, inflame uh, the extremists uh, who advocate, um, you know, white supremacy. And when they commit those white supremacists, when they commit such ugly crimes as they, as one of them did um, in Christchurch last week, um, then that just inflames extremists on another side. Mm-hmm. So my point is that um, we citizens, human beings, individuals need to start developing relationships with those who would otherwise um, be, uh, you know, fearful to us. Because that is the only way to bring the temperature down and to make people understand that not everybody can be labeled and then carry the baggage of the label, you know, that we apply to them. If we don't do that, if we don't uh, develop relationships with our other, then unfortunately, Rob, we are complicit in the very problem that we claim to be horrified by. Yeah, that's such a great point. Now, obviously, uh, you've got a long experience with being labeled, labeled by a a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. But it's interesting the the path that you took to to writing this book, and it was actually the the experience of being a pet owner of of all things that that in some ways <laughs> it got got you thinking along these lines. Well, you know, um, it relates completely to what we just talked about um, being fearful of the other. So, um, as you know, I've grown up Muslim. I still identify as such. Uh, But part of um, a common experience um, that uh, many Muslims around the world have is that we are taught uh, for cultural reasons, not so much religious ones, but cultural reasons, that uh, dogs, 
um, are toxic, that they are poisonous to the soul. And for a long time, I bought, bought into that. I was afraid to even approach a dog. Um, and one, one year, I had a particularly bad health crisis. And my partner, now my wife, Laura, said to me, honey, you need to evolve. You need to adopt a dog. You have no idea what their healing properties are. And through her urging, I adopted Lily, who, by the way, was old and was blind. Now, those are two labels that I assigned to her. Well, it turns out, Rob, that Lily was the most independent-minded creature I have ever had the pleasure to be around. She defied probably every order that I ever wanted her to follow. And what that reminded me is that labels simply do not capture any of us in our fullness. It doesn't mean that, you know, if you say that I'm Muslim or you say that I'm Canadian, that you are wrong. No, I am those things. But I am so much more than those things, and so are you. Any label that I assign to you does not fully understand, um, you know, who you are. And that's why, rather than simply throw these tags on one another, we've got to begin engaging one another, especially when we disagree, because that is when uh, the need and the opportunity for constructive engagement is at its most. Well, and it's such an important point because it, it's very easy to, to label people. It, it's a way of dismissing uh, th- those people in a lot of ways, right? I mean, if, if someone is, is anti-Muslim, it's enough to say Rashad is a, a Muslim. We, we don't need to listen to her. Or conversely, someone who's a fundamentalist right. Muslim would say, well, she's uh, an apostate or she's uh, a reformist, that there's no reason to, to pay attention to right. it. It's easy to dismiss people once we label them, isn't it? It's very easy to dismiss people that way. And let's face it, that's how all of us use labels, you know. Um, but but I, I want to say a couple of things about this. One is I don't blame human beings fully for this tendency. Um, it's our brains. This is how our brains work. There is an impulsive part of the brain, and that is the first part of the brain that reacts to, st- to anything around us. That impulsive part of the brain wants to treat everything in an us-and-them manner. Now, add to that. Uh, the fact that um, uh, we are immersed in digital technologies that are deliberately designed to amp up the earth, us versus them uh, tendency. Um, when you combine both of those factors, it's no wonder that tribalism is out of control today. And that's why, Rob, we have to make uh, an intentional effort to quiet that part of our brain, to take a deep breath literally slow our brain down and then begin to ask ourselves, why am I afraid of that person? Or why, you know, should I feel threatened by that person? Um, If we remember to just slow ourselves down, we are much more likely uh, to ask that other person whom we might otherwise be afraid of and walk away from, we would be much more likely to ask them questions and questions that will ultimately reveal that while we might disagree on some things, uh, that does not make us any less human in each other's eyes. And if we can just do that, then chances are we'll begin to understand where that other person is coming from and thereby, here's, here's the beauty of it, thereby be able to reframe our own points in a way that that other person can hear. This taps into a fundamental law of human psychology. Namely, if you want to be heard, you have to first be willing to hear. It's so easy, and yet we forget it all the time. 
We do, and and it's not unique to to any one side of of any debate or any one side of the political spectrum. Mm, that's but, right. But but it's interesting for you coming at it as is someone who is. <laughs> I'll use a label here, uh, a progressive, that, that perhaps amongst mm-hmm. your fellow progressives, even though there's a, an expectation that that side represents tolerance, as, as you've argued in, in this context, there often isn't. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, this is, the, I'm going to say it's a great hypocrisy that those of us who are on the liberal and progressive side of the spectrum have been indulging in for a very long time. We love to point fingers uh, at the so-called right and, and, point, you know, and, and, and sort of uh, dredge up all of the legitimate hypocrisies, and they are hypocrisies, that people on the other side of the spectrum you know, engage in. But that does not mean that we ought to be righteous about ourselves. Again, we are all human. The thing that I hold my fellow liberals and progressives to account for is we are the first people to celebrate and want others to celebrate diversity. But what what we fail to do is take into account diversity of viewpoint. That is as important to diversity as is religion and gender and skin color and so forth. So the point is that if we are going to have integrity promoting diversity, then we have to understand that there are people out there who will disagree with our politics. And far from being a threat to us, that should be an invitation to us to engage with them. Um, That, to me, is what progress is all about. Um, And that's the big plea that I'm making in this book. Right. I mean, it, it feels, though, that there's always a need to win the argument that that's we're, we're not content with agreeing to disagree. We're not content with just simply understanding what the other side believes and leaving right. it there. Right? It, right. It's almost as though we, we have to win. And uh, let me tell you, it's precisely by playing the win-lose game that we lose. In other words, whenever we try to uh, win an argument that started off as a discussion, then our ego turned it into an argument, and then our brains say that because, you know, everything around us has to be an us versus them situation, uh, then you must win this argument. Well, that's when the person that we're arguing with, their emotional defenses rise, and that means that they're going to start arguing back. This is no way to, quote, win, you know, uh, for your side far better to actually listen to the other side, ask more questions uh, based on what they have just said, not based on any secret agenda that you're bringing to the table. And when the other side actually feels heard, that's when their emotional defenses will come down and they will be much more likely to give you a fair hearing. So counterintuitively, here's the lesson. If you uh, want to rumble effectively, you have to hum- be humble immediately. If you remember that principle, you are far more likely both to preserve your dignity and to ensure that the other side does not lose face. Right. And that is when you have the power to actually get your point across and perhaps eventually win. Yeah, it's interesting because when we talk about division in society, d- division is not necessarily synonymous with disagreement. We, we can have disagreements. We'll, we'll always have disagreements, but disagreements don't have to lead to division, right? Exactly right. Exactly right. You know, I'll put it in some very um, sort of edgy terms here. Um, Bruce Lee, the martial arts uh, 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 master, was also a philosopher. And um, he taught all of his students, and I'm quoting now, be like water. 
but he also uh, suggested that we apply this lesson to life. By that he meant that water always gets to where it needs to be, even when it encounters barriers like rocks. But water uh, manages to get past the rocks. How? Not by demanding that they disappear or by labeling the rocks the enemy, but by washing over them and gliding around them and seeping through them. In other words, water accepts the presence of the rocks in its midst, and it works with that reality in order to get to where it needs to be. And if we could just apply that principle, accept that there is disagreement, don't deny it, but also don't try to squash it. Accept that there is disagreement, work with it so that you can actually turn what would be an argument into a discussion, and chances are you are going to wind up um, on a, you know, uh, much more likely to get what you want because you have given that other side uh, the hearing that it needs. Um, again, it's, it's, it's not always easy to remember. It is counterintuitive, but it is a choice that we can make. And I'm simply reminding people all along the ideological spectrum that um, if you want to lose an argument, do what you always do, which is to make the other side defensive. Yeah. If you want to win the argument, you know, do what you do not do right now, and that is listen and right. then respond. Because this isn't about abandoning principles or abandoning causes, right? Not People can still fight all. for what they believe in. That's exactly right. The way I put it is you can stand your ground and seek common ground at the same time. And can I tell you, Rob, I have applied that principle in pretty much all of my relationships over the last few years. You know, healing my relationship with my own mother and then, you know, getting through the first rocky years of a marriage. That principle has, you know, done wonders uh, for me and my partner. Um, and apply that principle to something as, uh, as big, as ambitious as uh, national politics. Um, and when you do, you'll find that both parties are transformed. You know, it's, it's, it, it, we don't try it enough. I'm not saying that every conversation is going to go swimmingly, but I am saying that um, that uh, approaching things this way makes you uh, makes the odds far higher than it would otherwise be uh, that you're going to get what you want. And at the very least, you will win the respect of the other side. That's a great start to winning, period. Yeah, that's it. So uh, the book is called Don't Label Me, an Incredible Conversation for Divided Times. Much more at ershadmanji.com. So great talking to you here today. Thank you so much for making some time for us. You bet, Rob. See you in a few years, I hope. <laughs> or sooner, hopefully. Yeah, you bet. Ershad, thanks again. Ershad Manji, again, the book is called Don't Label Me, an Incredible Conversation for Divided Times. Uh, New York Times bestselling author. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.